Our scripture today is from John chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11. Then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the, to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in a very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way from now on and do not sin again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tim, for reading our scripture this morning. Also want to share with you, we had a special joy at the early service. A family joined the church and had their uh, little one-year-old, their youngest, baptized. And as she was baptized, then she reached her hands and put them into the water. I love that. It's like, give me more of Jesus. <laughs> this love of God, I want more of this on me. That was beautiful. And she clapped right along with the congregation when we celebrated her baptism together. Oh. Today we're continuing a sermon series called New Year, Same God. New things will happen this year, right? Always do. And we go through those new things with this same God who is with us now and with us always. We started our sermon series with a sermon about this forever God who grounds us and in whom we may be grounded come what may. And last week, Pastor Jeff lifted up three ways through Isaiah 43 to go into a new year, remembering, forgetting, and looking ahead. Remembering that God is our sure foundation, forgetting whatever it is God invites us to let go and looking ahead to whatever is that new thing that God is doing in our midst. Today we read a story Tim just read for us back from the New Testament in which God is doing a new thing in Jesus Christ and the religious folks are fighting it. Hmm. What can we learn from that? Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we bow before you today. You are our creator, redeemer, sustainer. Get me out of the way that what we do in worship today is you. All about and coming from and offered to you. 
Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our redeemer, and our refuge. And it is in your name that we pray, as all of us together say, Amen. Years ago, I was babysitting for a friend of mine, her two boys, And they wanted peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. So I made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and put them on the table. When I did, they looked at me with great suspicion. As if I had placed dog food in front of them. And I said, what? They said, mom always cuts them in two. Okay. I took the sandwiches back, cut them in two, placed them back on the table And they looked at me with great suspicion, continued, as if I had put mud pies in front of them. I said, what? They said, mom always cuts off the crusts. Okay. So I take the sandwiches back, cut off all the crusts, and put the sandwiches back on the table. Again, they continued to look at me with great suspicion. As if I had placed rubber cement on the table for lunch. I said, what? They said, mom always stacks them like a tower. Okay. Had a certain Disney movie already been made at that time, lyrics from one of their songs would have been going through my head. Let it go. Let it go. As I stacked the sandwiches like a tower and placed them back on the table. This time they ate them. But still eyeing me with great suspicion. A peanut butter and jelly sandwich not divided, decrusted and stacked like a tower. What could I have been thinking? I remember what I was thinking later that afternoon. We all have a hard time with change. When something is different from what we expected or something is different from what we have grown accustomed to over the years, no matter how old or young we are, whether it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or when they divided 95 when you're heading down toward Fredericksburg, and I can never remember the split in the road. Or how your son has now turned up to be a vegan. Change. Or how... um, You know, just the challenges of getting older and having kids and raising them or getting a PCS you weren't expecting that sends your family off to California. We fight change, don't we? Just like those two little boys who didn't know what to do with these odd peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Same is true at work and school. Change a commanding officer. Change a teacher. Change a schedule. Change is hard. We fight it. The same is true of churches, too. Change the color of the carpet, the words on a sign, the music style, the way we do a bulletin or a pastor. Change is hard. And we know change is normal, but we still fight it. We've all been there. Even though God is bigger than all of that, it is still hard. The same was true in the Old Testament, And the story that Pastor Jeff told last week, even the Israelites fought change. 
God delivered them from slavery, no less, and now they were wandering in a desert, uncharted, unknown, a new thing. They were suspicious of Moses, suspicious of God. Even though they were free, they wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. It was what they knew, even if it was not good. We all fight change. The same was true in Jesus' day. The religious leaders liked what they were used to, what they knew, the way they had always done things. They liked it that way. For them, that meant living by the law, following it to a T. They knew how to do that, and they were good at it. Then Jesus came along and stretched the rules they had set and broke some. And they didn't know what to do with that. He did not follow all of the over 600 laws in the Hebrew scriptures. He said love was most important, the greatest commandment. What? This was different for them. Watching how he lived, listening to what he said, they were not sure what to do with it. They eyed Jesus with suspicion. Jesus' shift toward new grace, mercy, and welcome was a change for those who lived by the law. And so this meant conflict between them and Jesus, and they sought a way to confront Jesus or get rid of him so that things would not change. In our story today that Tim read for us, things are tense between Jesus and those religious leaders. It's an unusual story. You might find double brackets around it in your Bible. Why is that? This story is not in some of the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John. It's not there in some. It's in a different place. And uh, in one early manuscript, it shows up in Luke. Nevertheless, it's been in this spot in the canon for over 1,500 years or more, and it's considered to be some of the earliest ancient oral tradition about Jesus and was passed down that way before it was written down. What's happening in the story? Let's give it some context. Faith leaders, as we said, are having a hard time with Jesus' way of ministry and his teaching, his forgiveness of sin, his supposed identity as the son of God. They weren't sure about that. They didn't understand it. What was he thinking, making those claims? The leaders are like the old guard plotting strategy against Jesus to trap him. Jesus, when the story starts, is in the temple sitting and teaching. And a group of religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, come in, bringing a woman with them. They make her stand in front of everyone. They say she has been caught in adultery and that the law says to stone her. What laws? The religious leaders are referring to Leviticus 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 22, 22. The law in Leviticus says, and I quote, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. That raises questions. 
The leaders did not bring in the man. We don't know where he is. They're supposed to kill them both. Some details are missing. Was she the wife of the man's neighbor? We don't know. The law in Deuteronomy says, and I quote, if a man is caught lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman as well as the woman. Again, we don't know where the man is, and this law doesn't specify anything about a neighbor being involved. The law simply says that they're supposed to kill the two of them. The men interpret this literally, and they are ready to do it. And the leaders demand a response from Jesus. This is what the law says. What do you say? They put Jesus on the spot. What will Jesus do? What will he say to these riled up people? Will he give them a direct answer? He usually doesn't. The men make it look like they're trying to condemn the woman, but are they really trying to condemn Jesus instead? Trying to draw him into their conflict, trying to trap him. What is his response? He does not answer their question. What he does is he squats. He bends down and starts writing on the ground with his finger. I imagine that rather infuriated them. They were dumbfounded. What? This simple act of Jesus interrupts the fevered pitch of the crowd. What was Jesus doing down there? People have tried to figure that out for centuries. Was he counting to ten? Was he catching his breath? Was he controlling anger? What was he doing in the dirt? Was he doodling? What was he writing? Was he taking a moment to take a deep breath or figure out what to say? We don't know. In that culture, Jesus' act was a signal that he was disengaging, refusing to take the bait and get caught up in their issues and this back and forth into which they wanted to drag him, trap him, take what he said, use it against him. I imagine Jesus' refusal to answer their question did infuriate them. Riled up people usually want others to get riled up with them. The leaders grow more insistent. They continue asking their questions. They continue to badger Jesus. And when he is good and ready, he stands. And maybe they're thinking now we're finally getting somewhere, some response. Let's trap him. Everybody write down what he says. Yet what Jesus says changes everything. And makes it clear that there is a deeper problem here that is not about the woman at all. It is about the condition of the men's hearts. And Jesus gives his counter challenge. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And Jesus resumes his position in the conflict, which is to say not engaged in it. He bends back to the ground and starts to write once more with his finger. While they're all standing there, 
The men and the woman are now on the same level playing field, though the men may never have thought they were her equal. Now they are. The response is silence. Crickets. Jesus' words signal that they need to look at what they are doing. And to their credit, they do. The men, starting with the elders, drop their rocks and walk away. Not as the crowd that had dragged her in, but this time one by one. No stones are thrown. The woman is not harmed. The law is broken. And all those who were riled up leave. Jesus has disarmed them. And he stands up once more. And for the first time addresses the woman directly. This woman who's been a pawn for the leaders in their conflict with Jesus. Jesus has saved her life. He has broken the law for her out of grace, out of mercy, out of compassion, out of love. And he asks her, has anyone condemned you? She says, no. Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. It's a powerful story. What do we learn from it? More than we can fully unpack in our time today, but I'll offer a few points and you tell me what stands out to you. First, there are some laws in scripture that people don't interpret literally anymore. We do not kill people who commit adultery these days. The culture has changed a lot since then. Second, Jesus is charging them all with sin, every single one of them. Sin is on display, the sin of adultery, the sin of judgmentalism, the sin of self-righteousness. And who knows whatever else any of them have done or thought. Jesus invites each person there to do this internal check on everything in their relationship with God. And Jesus does not make one sin worse than any other. The men are drawing attention to adultery. Jesus is drawing attention to their judgment of her, of him. Adultery and judgment can both tear families and relationships apart. Dr. Roberta Bondi at Candler School of Theology writes that judgmentalism, and I'm quoting, destroys community, those who do the judging and the one who is judged. On a small scale, judgmentalism destroys marriages, families, and churches. And on a wider scale, it provides the major fuel of racism, sexism, neglect of the poor, and personal church and national self-righteousness, end quote. Jesus addresses the dangers of judging others in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 and flatly tells us not to judge anyone. But we all have trouble with that go and sin no more. Boy, is it hard to stop. 
we all too easily like to point out sin with which we do not wrestle or have to struggle and overlook sin to which we've grown accustomed. We usually cut ourselves a whole lot of slack and rarely extend slack to someone else. Yet when we judge another, we put ourselves in a seat we were never meant to have. And we are all going to mess this up. And as for me, I would whole lot rather err on the side of grace than err on the side of judgment because I know I'm not supposed to do that. None of us is in a position to condemn another human being. Third, people often hear this story through their preferred lens. Some prefer to focus on Jesus' last line, go and sin no more. None of us is able to be sinless except for Jesus. Some cling to Jesus' first line, let anyone among you without sin be the first to throw a stone. What if we try something different and hold them both together? Jesus has a balance in the story, inviting all of them to look inward and change. He offers not only the woman, but also those eager to condemn her. A new start, a new way of life, a new way of being in relationship with God and each other, if they will take it. Jesus is the only one with authority in this story to judge sin and forgive it. It's ironic, isn't it, that the old guard is upset about Jesus breaking laws and extending mercy and forgiveness of sin when here they are the recipients of that change toward grace they have been fighting. And Jesus, with his words and action, has made them not only experience it, but be part of extending grace toward another, the very thing they have been fighting. The change they did not want. They are now part of it. While not condoning sin, Jesus offers them all a new chapter if they will drop their stones. Theologian Karl Barth, writing in the previous century, wrote this, I quote, The radical acceptance of others is the basis of Christian ethics. To think of every human being, even the oddest, most villainous or miserable, as one to whom Jesus Christ is brother and God is father and we have to deal with each other on this assumption. End quote. Fourth, Jesus is the hardest on that old guard than anyone else in the Gospels. Have you noticed that? He loved them too. The ones who were most resistant to change, resistant to him, resistant to mercy, resistant to outcasts. The ones who wanted things, say, divided, decrusted, and stacked like a tower like they had always been used to. The ones who judged others so easily. Jesus denounces their hypocrisy and neglect of compassion in scathing words in Matthew 23. To go and sin no more was hard for them, too. It was hard to let that go. They, like the rest of us, struggle with it. 
for by the end of the next chapter in the gospel of God there of in the gospel of John they're trying to stone Jesus he escapes and slips away change is hard it is for me too what's the big takeaway in the story I hear John 3:16 and 17 ringing in our ears that Jesus came out of God's love for the world and did not come to condemn the world but to save it. And any time we feel tempted to pick up a stone, maybe we want to do it with our words. Or our looks, our eyes, our gestures. Anytime we pick up a stone to throw it at someone else. An insult, a condemnation, in a post, or a comment, or an email. In person, in gossip. To want to condemn a person, a family, a church, a community. Be like Jesus. Do what's biblical. Refuse to engage in that. Bend down to the ground if you need to and start drawing in the dirt. Let's do what Jesus told us to do. And drop the rock. And not judge. And leave that far behind. Amen, people.